Hello and welcome to Business Unmuted, a business discussion broadcast live on LinkedIn from Recognition's PR studio and later shared on platforms including YouTube, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. As ever, we're kindly sponsored by Virtu BMW, which is part of Gateshead-based Virtu Motors PLC. If you're in the market for a new, used or fleet vehicle, stop by one of the dealerships in Stockton, Durham, Sunderland, Moulton or York. Today, we're joined by Matthew Wharton, Director at Wharton Construction. Richard Warren, Managing Director of Cairn Group, which has a portfolio of more than 30 hotels and restaurants across the UK and nine care homes. And also by Jane Reynolds, MBE, Chair of Tees Valley Business Club and Business Development Manager at North Star Ventures. Before we talk to them, let's look at some of the things that have happened in the economy and business world this week. A survey conducted by the Federation of Small Businesses found that operating costs had risen for almost half of its members, with utilities, fuel and labour costs highlighted as issues. However, it also showed that business confidence is up in all regions other than London. The only sector not showing a boost in confidence was retail, which held steady, but hotels and hospitality showed the strongest confidence with a 35-point lead over the nearest sector. I suppose that's a great place to start with Cairn Group Hotels, which is Richard Warren joining us on the line. Richard, you've got hotels 30, I think it is, all around the country. How do you feel about the way you're operating throughout this summer? Well, Graham, we stretch from Aberdeen in the north right down to Brighton in the south and take in major cities and some of the secondary cities. So we get a really interesting cross-section of the UK to look at. And operating out of England, Wales and Scotland means we get different views because of the different devolved governments and the way that the measures of COVID have impacted the individuals and the, the way that the businesses can operate. And what we found within hospitality is London is on its own. It's still sitting with a little bit of a, a difficulty with not many visitors coming in. Of course, international travel is huge for London. It's the first place people tend to come to if they're having one visit in the UK in their lifetime. But actually, there's so many other fantastic places to go that the UK market is remembering the staycation, as it's often referred to. And as a consequence of that, certain premises and many different businesses across the UK, perhaps in seaside towns and some of the secondary cities and countrysides that previously didn't get the same level of attention, have got large visitor numbers. And as a result of that, they're really enjoying the position that they're in because you can open your doors and welcome a wealth of different people that you wouldn't have previously had. Well, I think that's a great bit of news. And some of these hotels you've got, I imagine, are enjoying occupancy levels this summer that they haven't seen for many summers. That's right. Certain cities like Brighton, Graham, often do well in the summer no matter what. But when you talk about places like um, County Durham and Harrogate, you're seeing leisure travellers come in from short distances, which is really interesting. People who are happy just to travel for 50 miles and actually see what's on their doorstep. And of course, we're enjoying that occupancy level and we're hoping that next year, while we do believe and the industry tends to accept this, that many people will be having their summer holidays abroad again, that second and maybe third holiday, the city break, mm. will be higher on people's agenda. 
as a consequence of people wanting to spend their money on experiences and a little less of the products that they've been buying during lockdown. I went on a, a domestic holiday this year and stayed at a hotel in Dorset, a very nice high-end hotel that I otherwise wouldn't have gone to because I might have gone to the south of France. The weather was good, so that helped. But it was such a nice hotel that my wife and I were saying, well, maybe we should come back here at New Year. And, and I think there is an effect like that, isn't there? Now that you mentioned Harrogate, don't you own the Majestic Hotel there? That's correct, yes. So that's a, a grand old dame of hotels, isn't it? And, and, and do you own quite a lot of hotels like that where you've gone in, maybe, uh, maybe given them a bit of a facelift and, and renewed the experience and people who are going to visit for the first time, maybe in many years, those hotels will get a, a new look? We do own many properties that we've owned for a long time, some of which were underinvested before we bought them. And as a consequence of that, we've been able to do a considerable facelift and, and the Harrogate Majestic Hotel, now Doubletree by Hilton, following branding after our refurbishment is one of those properties which is iconic to the town that it sits within. And I had a, a really interesting conversation, Graham, with a gentleman who was in the hospitality trade and he'd been coming to Harrogate for 40 years. And he was very much of the opinion and able to put forward that other people said the same thing, that properties like Majestic can really make a town. And as a consequence of investment, it can really raise people's spirits within the town. And of course, it creates employment, hmm. creates employment directly and within the supply chain. And I think that's fantastic within the UK, as we've, we've talked about in that opening there. The, the confidence levels grow the economy starts to move. And as a consequence of that, the tax takes are higher. And I'm sure we'll talk more about it later, but the, the amount the government has to borrow reduces. So that's right. it really um, creates that feel-good factor. Um, and of course, hospitality, we like the feel-good factor. We like the smiles on people's faces. And ultimately, that's a great place to be. Well, a rising tide should lift all boats. But of course, what if you can't get the staff? How have you managed to do? There's a lot of talk about staff shortages. Are you actually finding it or is it something that's being overstated in the media? I don't think it's being overstated, Graham. I think it is something that's affecting many businesses. And in the wider economy, of course, again, back to confidence, if you're not sure what your order book's going to be and you're not sure you're going to be able to get your raw materials, it's very difficult to take on a core workforce and to expand maybe back to the levels that you wanted to be at, uh, maybe back to 2019 levels. But within hospitality specifically, we do have open vacancies. Um, and we're able to take people in and train them. And I think in the UK, sometimes people don't see hospitality as the long-term career that it can be. And many people talk about general managers, the person at the top of the tree in the hotel, often starting in a junior entry position and working their way through in not a long period of time if they've got the skills and they've got the brain and they've got the huge desire to do it. So... I really want to welcome people into hospitality and have a great career within it. But actually, in the short term, we do have a little bit of difficulty in finding people to do certain jobs. And I think the so-called pandemic has been a problem for that. And also, history of the past 18 months has proven that if something difficult does happen in the economy, it's the travel and tourism sector that tends to get shut down first. And as a consequence of that, perhaps people are a little bit nervous of taking a job in hospitality when they might be able to do something more stable. For example, retail, where there are a large number of jobs created. 
All right, well, that turns us nicely on to the next subject. And before we'll talk to Matthew Wharton at Wharton Construction, retail and fast food, in this case, was on the subject, uh, on the mind of the Chancellor, actually, uh, just a few days ago, because uh, Matthew was with the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, uh, last week to view a development site in North Allerton. Here's what Mr Sunak had to say. Well, investments like this are great news because what they tell us is business leaders have got confidence in our recovery and they're backing that confidence with millions of pounds of investment in our local area. So it's enormously welcome. I'm very grateful and it's a great sign of a vibrant economy here in the northeast. Coming out of the difficult 18 months we had, the thing that's top of my mind is how do we get people into work and into well-paid work? And developments like this, backed by millions of pounds, are going to create tons of jobs for local people here. So I'm super excited about it. And then, at the end of it, we're going to have a great drive-through here in North Allerton. So what's not to like? That was the Chancellor talking to our crew at the end of last week at a site in North Allerton, North Yorkshire, which Matthew Wharton is uh, constructing. And Matthew, tell us uh, what the site is and who is your client? Well, our client's Simon Bales, and we're, we've started phase one of his development. He's got a fantastic plot of land just off um, the main road into North Allerton. He's got great plans for the site to include a drive-through and several retail units. We, we, we started phase one on Monday, which is for a small retail unit, but opens the site up with a new entrance and uh, he's hopeful to get planning permission in place for the, to develop the rest of the site at some point this year. So what was it like meeting the Chancellor and, and uh, how upbeat was he about the economy? Well, he's a lovely guy and he's very upbeat, um, very switched on and it, it was, it was uh, great to meet him and uh, for him to come down and, and sort of attend our uh, turf cutting ceremony was fantastic. Um, Simon requested some support for his drive-through development as well, so it was a, a good move for him. A bit of bit of pressing the political flesh there. Get it. Get get some answers from the decision maker. That's uh, that's what I like to hear. The the entrepreneur asking the the politician for a bit of help. Now, um, <laughs> whether it comes, I don't know. Uh, but um, let's talk about your business itself because there's been a lot of move music about construction. Just as we heard from uh, Richard in hotels, where there is a difficulty attracting labour, but more importantly, a difficulty in attracting supplies. There you have an ongoing site that you're building for Simon Bay in North Allerton. Um, will that site and will other sites be affected by a shortage of uh, timber, steel uh, and other uh, bits of uh, kit? No. The site in, uh, in North Allerton, we, we won that back in May and we um, we requested a sort of delayed start date to accommodate the delays in materials in the long leading times. Um, and Simon and his team were, were open to that and I think any good client can, can appreciate the challenges that we have and um, and are willing to sort of wait to, for projects to, to start. So is that how you have to manage it at the moment? When you get a new job on, whether it's building a drive-through or repairing somebody's house, uh, managing expectations and delaying your own profit and your own sale? Absolutely, there's some benefits. It helps us build a bit of a pipeline of work, um, which we wouldn't normally do. Um, unfortunately, it's, it's market conditions at the moment and, and we have to do this. What do you put the reason down to? Why is our supply chain in construction all gridlocked? Well, I've been told several reasons from several different people, and I'm not entirely sure I believe any of them. So <laughs> um, I've heard about the shortage of drivers, which I read today is potentially 100,000 less drivers in the country, um, which obviously that, that does play its part. Um, the usual on Brexit and COVID delays, which I thought were sort of beyond now, but um, seemingly not. 
So it's hard to sort of pinpoint any one reason. I think it could be several. Brexit on construction doesn't strike me as being the most logical. There are concrete plans in the plants in the country. There are brick plants in the country. What are we importing in construction? What do you build? What do you use that's imported generally day to day in your work? Yeah, well, the steel, a lot of the steel comes in from abroad, which um, is shocking well, in itself. Based on Teesside, I'd like to see it here. Absolutely, yeah. So the steel, the cladding, um, those kind of key materials. Um, a lot of the house builders, because they're so busy, they're taking up um, sort of cement stocks, bricks, and large infrastructure projects are also taking up large quantities of concrete. So that kind of affects the whole marketplace. So it's a supply and demand issue as much as Brexit or as much as COVID. Clearly, construction sites didn't close en masse during the lockdowns, maybe at first, but very quickly you were operating again, weren't you? Absolutely. We've been uh, full steam for over 12 months now. So, um, and gone from strength to strength. There's a lot of demand in the market at the minute. Um, and we're at this one of inquiries, whether that's public sector, private sector, or um, just a guy who wants something building. So, Matthew, just to p- frame it, you're a family-owned business that uh, builds, I suppose, smaller scale commercial uh work things like a drive-through or a light industrial unit or a small office or, or, or repairs to a school that kind of thing if there is a job now that's needed for a commercial building like that what should somebody expect to be the period of time that that job could be delivered well depending on what stage they're at at the minute if they have planning in place let's assume that's that's set up and they have a complete set of drawings we supervise a 15-week period before you look to start on site. Right, so you're nearly four months, not quite four months. Is that lo- much longer than normal? Put it and frame it for me. Two oh, years so ago, how long would I have to wait? Maybe 10 weeks, 10, 12 right. weeks, depending on the quantity of steel work and, and what, the, what the site entails. So it's 33% longer. Fascinating. Jane Reynolds, let's bring you in. Been very patiently waiting in our discussion there. You've heard two gentlemen that are in the front line of business, one in construction, one in re- uh, hotels, hospitality. Your, your business club has all sorts of different members from across uh, Teesside in the northeast. What mood music are you hearing from them about the state of our economy? Well, thank you, Graham. Yes, um, we were very lucky that this month has seen the opportunity to get back face to face with some of those events. Um, Back in April of 2020, we moved online and we've continued those discussions and obviously gone through a lot of um, difficulties, some of those businesses, different sectors, as you say. Um, But it's been very interesting to hear in more recent months how that has definitely improved in a freeing up of, of the economy. Um, but we had an opportunity to have our Bank of England event back breakfast, where we invite 12 businesses around the table so that we can get the understanding of, of what the feelings are with those companies. And um, it's very interesting, very, very positive, um, much more positive um, than we probably were expecting. But the one thing, as has been mentioned here, has been about the skill shortage. And I think that um, is across sectors and looking to attract people to this region as well. This is not a region that people would necessarily think to come to for work. But there have been some of our members who have offered incentives to their employees to find 
people um, who were willing to to come along and and to join their companies. So um, that has been successful, and we're seeing a number of those announcements that have been happening in recent weeks. That's fascinating. So we're getting the brain drain in reverse, and I'd like to see that happen more and more in the northeast and Yorkshire. Uh, the Purchasing Managers Index is something that a lot of uh, commentators dwell on when it looks at the state of the economy. It is a six-month uh, low uh, uh, recently, but it's still growing, the economy. According to the PMI, it's growing uh, to 50, 55.3%. So it is indicating growth. Um, and then you've got investments into things like supermarkets and fast food happening. Uh, in Tees Valley, the Five Guys chain has invested and you've got companies like Morrison's accepting a deal to buy them from a foreign company. What does this tell you about the general state of the economy, uh, Jane? Not just in Teesside, where there are unique factors, but elsewhere. Um, I, I think it, it's it's an interesting picture that we've got, and I, I think there is um, low valuations on some of those businesses that really make them very attractive, and it's with regard to how um, that they are developed in our local area and also sort of in the wider region as well. And um, there is a knock on effect on those kinds of investments. And so you can't look at any one um, sort of purchase as, as a, a, a true reading, but the ripple effect is very, very important. And for those smaller businesses that we see, um, you know, they are in a position to benefit from the larger organizations taking those those particular decisions well as the self-employed paid their second tranche of tax in july because it's january and july for self-employed people don't i know it um the government took in 70 billion pounds which is very helpful um and meant that uh, borrowing was 10 billion lower than July last year, flashed the slide on screen there. Uh, so the government's borrowing is also very important to all three of you because uh, operating businesses, we don't want to be clobbered with an economy that's having constraint from high tax, do we? An anchor on the economy. Richard, what's your view on where the government is on borrowing and the potential for tax? Well, that's always an interesting question, Graham. Um, something has to pay for everything that's happened and something has to pay for the public services that keep all of the lights on. So all of us within business accept that we have to pay what I like to refer to as the right level of tax. And some people will call that too high and some people will say that it's too low. So what we're talking about when we look at differences between the expected tax take and the actual tax take is the difference between forecasting and reality and forecasting within pandemics has been extremely difficult so i sitting here in my chair today do not want to see a position whereby there is an expectation of much higher taxes in the future and the way that the government needs to help business is to set out certainty because with certainty we can plan and with uncertainty of the potential of higher taxes what can you do and there's various taxes that impact people we know what's happening with corporation tax we think we know what's happening with vat we think, but that's subject to change, but there's various other entrepreneurial taxes that need to be addressed and addressed quickly to give us the certainty to be able to plan forwards. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Matt, Matt where are you? Do you think that you know we're gonna hit 25% uh, uh, corporation tax soon? It's planned, it's in the system. People might've forgotten about it, but it's coming. 
do you think that that's fair and do you expect more? Well, like Richard said, you know, this has cost the country a small fortune in the last 18 months and one way or another it needs addressing um, and, and that will be through taxes. I think um, a short-term approach to address the sort of increase in prices that we see of materials and labour that we've discussed before to see a, a tax break to encourage the economy to grow and be stronger and then tax it later down the line. And where do you sit on this one, Jane? Well, I, I suppose, isn't it something like two trillion sort of in debt that, that we are? So, um, again, we do have to pay. So we've got to look at how we do that. Um, I think, yes, it is lower, but I think it's something like one of the highest July um, sort of figures that we, we've had since records began. So I, I think people... Um, you know, as, as Richard and Matt say, you know, we, we know that we have to do it, but it's it's how we do it. I think initiatives are, are out there as well, which are not so easy for businesses to understand. And they therefore end up paying uh, specialists maybe to, to look at that and at, at a cost. Um, and how we see it with um, our innovation fund is if people, businesses are spending time on looking at how uh, they they can work with all the different taxes and there's less room for innovation, which we want to invest in. So I, I think it needs to be fit for purpose. So therefore, if people know what they're dealing with, then they're able to make those plans. And of course, the man in the street sometimes thinks the government taxes, the government spends, but actually the government doesn't just spend, it also borrows. And some of the things about you just said jane we've got to pay for the pandemic maybe part of that is to stop borrowing so much rather than uh, we can't pay it back until we stop borrowing can we a anyway look that's a that's my final thought for it richard matt jane thank you for joining me thank you take care everyone and join us again for another episode of business unmuted next week